Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. In your pew Bible, I believe it's on page 242. 242. Uh, my name is Bob Burris. I'm a member here at Christ Community Church. I work for Training Leaders International. I was a pastor in the Evangelical Free Church, which is our brand of church, uh, for about 36 years. And now I travel uh, mostly to Africa to train pastors um, in preaching. So please don't rate my training in Africa with how this sermon is going to go this morning. Um, uh, I'm married, I have four kids and seven grandchildren, and I may refer to them a few times this morning, as I usually do. Um, this is a brace for my arm. Uh, many of you have asked, I'll just get it off the table. I was at the gym lifting bench press, and I tore um, this muscle off the bone, and so I had surgery about three weeks ago, and they drilled through and put in some anchors, and so there you have it. So I wear this for three more weeks, and then six months of rehab, and I'll be as good as new, Lord willing. So I, I, I just want to thank you for your support as a church, your prayers, your concerns, your financial support. Um, it's just wonderful to have a home church, and... Um, that's so supportive. This morning I prayed with the elders and it's wonderful. Um, I, I just sat in amazement at all the, these are great men. I, you, you don't know much of what they do. I kind of experienced that for a long time and they sacrifice for us and they make, they make church life as good as it is here, which is great. And they deserve much thanks and prayer. Um, they are really good guys really good guys. So hopefully you found 2 Samuel 7. When Rick asked me to preach two messages on this, um, what immediately came to my mind was the philosophy question that people joke about, explain the universe and give three examples in 200 words or less. This is one of those texts. When, when you think about biblical texts and those that carry so much weight, you always think of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I mean, that explains so much. You think of Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. You think of John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, and all of these texts, you can, almost, you can almost hear the sucking noise as it sucks in the whole Bible to explain what's going on. John chapter 3, Matthew chapter 1, Revelation chapter 5. But let me tell you, 2 Samuel 7, it's, it's a massive chapter. It really is. And so we're, what we're going to do um, is we're going to just read through the text and explain it. I'll, I'll read it first, I think, and then we'll explain the text as we go. And then I have five things that I want you um, to do to understand um, what, what do you do with this text? How does it change the way you think? How does it change the way you feel? And how does it change the way you trust God? And, and what your hope is in? And then what do you do? And so one of the things we teach when I'm in Africa, and I develop these hand signals, and I'll just ask you to do it. Um, as you think about a biblical text, you think about how is it going to change the way you're thinking Okay, the way you're thinking. Some of you are too cool to do this, but and that's fine. That's fine. We're at church, and this is South Orange County, so I get it. Um, so it changes the way you think, the way you feel, 
what you hope in, think about you're leaning against a wall, what you're trusting in, your hope, uh, I'm sorry, what you're trusting in, what you're hoping in, and it changes what you do. Those are the five ways to think about application. And so we're going to hopefully do that as we conclude looking at the text. Um, keep your finger there in that text and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. God said, don't eat from the tree. They ate from the tree. They sinned. They disobeyed. They broke God's covenant. They said no. And then two boys, one kills the other. I, I kind of get that. This weekend we took care of my daughter's 16-month-old twin boys. I get it that boys want to kill each other. They tried several times. That was my job. Keep them from killing each other. And, and then the evil on the earth got so bad that God sent the flood. And then as soon as the flood's over, Noah goes and sins in another garden. He plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. And it's a, a sordid story. And then after that, instead of spreading through the earth to make a name for God as the image bearers they are, they want to make a name for themselves so they build a tower. And God confuses their language and causes them to do what they already should have done by his grace and spread through the old earth and spread the glory of God. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a pagan, Abraham, Abram. Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and will make you a great nation. Here's God's promises. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. We all know the name of Abraham. Everybody knows Abraham. So that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And, I, and those who curse you, those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is telling Abram what he is going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this. And so as the biblical history unfolds, we see that God is keeping his promise. He takes them down to Egypt through 11 sinful brothers, sell Joseph, and they go down to Egypt. They become a great nation. Under great affliction, they become a great nation. And God blesses them. And then he blesses and he curses them, them who are going to curse his people. So they come out of Egypt, they're a great nation. He brings them to the promised land, and they say, No, they don't believe God, and they wander in the wilderness for, for 40 years, and then they're brought into the promised land. And we have judges who judge. We have Samson and Gideon and Barak. When you think judge, think warrior. Not really so much of a judge as a warrior that led God's people. And then we um, you Look at 1 Samuel, and, and there's so many texts we need to read this morning. <laughs> I, just, I just can't stand it. 2 Samuel 7 is one of my triggers, you know. I get triggered. I've kind of been shaking ever since Rick asked me to preach this. I'm like, I can't believe it. Anyway, um, when, when Hannah prays in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10, she mentions the king, the king, the king. He's going to bring them into a land. He brought them into the land, but they were not faithful. And then they asked for a king, but they wanted a king like the nations had a king. And God said, okay, you want a king? You, you, yeah, I'll give it to you. It didn't work out so well. And then God chooses David, a man after God's own heart. 
It's very interesting when, when Samuel chooses David. You know, he goes to uh, his father and he goes through all the sons of Jesse and don't you have somebody else? And he says, yeah, there's one who's following. The, there's, there's one taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says this. This is, this is so instructive for us. He says, go get him and we're going to stand until he comes. Samuel knew this was the one. David's the one. David's the one. And they stood. And this is just, this is for free, no extra credit. Um, um, but it, it is free. When, when Stephen dies, I, 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 I'm just, cause me to choke up every time I think about it. Stephen, the martyr, is, is, is proclaiming the name of Christ. And they stone him to death. And just before he dies, he sees in heaven. And what does he see in heaven? Jesus. He's not, he's not sitting. Philippians 2 says he's sat at the right hand of God. Jesus stands for Stephen. It's just, an, it's just an amazing text. And so um, Hannah prays for this king. And then this king comes and he's, this, this king's been anointed. And now in 2 Samuel 7, after, after God has been with him and has, has, he's defeated his enemies by the power of God. You can read this in chapter 4 and chapter 5. David understands that God has been with him as he's defeated his enemies. And now we start. 2 Samuel 7, 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, and David knew this, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, this first time Nathan shows up, but he has kind of this personal prophet to speak to God for him. He goes to Nathan and he says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. It just doesn't seem right. I got a really nice house and God's in a tent. This is the tabernacle that went through the wilderness. And, and, and last week we got brought into the city of Jerusalem. And, and David just doesn't feel right about that. And he, and, and he wants to build God a house. And Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. That same night, immediately, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and he says, go and tell my servant David. Isn't that a great designation? My servant David, would that we could be called. Would, go, go, and, go and tell John, your servant, or Mary, or Abigail, or your servant. It's just, go tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did, did, did I ever say anything? Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Did I ever mention it? Did I ever say it? And notice what is God doing? He's in a tent and he's with them the whole time. He's following them in the tent through the wilderness. He's, he's, he's actually leading God's people in a tent in the wilderness. Now I was a Boy Scout and we went tent camping. And so when I got married, um, I thought we got to do this. Kids love camping. And um, 
So we went camping. And our first camping trip, I built this little trailer and put it behind the car. And Vicky was, it's probably a mistake, but she was like five months pregnant. <laughs> and we had two kids. I'm thinking I had a, we had a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a pregnant wife. We went camping. And this nice man at church gave me one of those Coleman lanterns where, you know, remember those things? You pump them up. And he gave me one of those, and he wanted me to use it. And, and I had this perfectly good electric lantern. And so we're going camping, and we're in Oregon that night, and we go to this campground. And I, I didn't want to use that stupid Coleman lantern, but I knew he was going to ask me. So I turn on my electric lantern. You know, in those days, it was just you know, D batteries and no rechargeables and they're just, you know, I couldn't get this thing to work. And the lantern kept getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then the lantern was gone. And then this raccoon comes. <laughs> and he starts to growl at me. He took off because I was not happy. The fruits of the spirit were not being exhibited by Bob at that point in life. And the raccoon knew it, and he took off. And then we get the we get finally get set up, and we're in this five person tent. But you know, there's only four of us, so we're fine. And then at 5 a.m., it starts to rain, and the tent starts to leak. You have camping stories, don't you? We have camping stories, and it's the one vacation we look back and we have the most fun talking about. <laughs> so, but but God. Here's the thing is, God is with them in the wilderness, in a tent, where there's thousands of funerals every day, and you would think, God would say, you know what, why don't you guys go, you know, go off into the wilderness, learn your lessons, everybody die that needs to die, and then, then I'll join you. No, he's with them. He's with them. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, now therefore you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. I read this to Vicki a couple of days ago when she said, oh yeah, like the, the guy who follows the horses at the Rose Parade, you know? <laughs> from following the sheep. I, I took you from about as low as it can, can get. I mean, if you're going to work the Rose Parade, don't, that's probably the last job on the totem pole. So the Lord is reminding David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I took you and I made you king. You need to remember that, dude. That was me. That was my initiative. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. He did that for Abraham, too. He's, he's kind of... He's kind of riffing on the Abrahamic covenant, isn't he? I will bless those who bless you, or those who curse you, I will curse. I'm going to give you the land. I mean, we're seeing the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant in the life of David here. And I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Okay? Hard stop right there. Remember who you were. Look at what I've done for you now. I will make for you a great name. This is new. But think about it today. Everyone knows David, king of Israel, King David. Like the name of the great ones on the earth. I'm going to make your name great, dude. 
Can we think about building a house for me? I'm the one who takes the initiative here. I'm the one who's in charge. You, you're my servant. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, whoa, this is what I'm going to do, David. I, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You think you're going to build me a building? No, 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 no. I'm going to make you into a forever legacy guy. I'm going to build your house, your kids and your grandkids and your great-greats and your great-great. I'm going to build the legacy of King David. Let's keep reading. When your days are fulfilled, when you die, and you lie down with your fathers, I, this all, remember, this is all God is doing. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, in case you're wondering, and I will establish his kingdom. This is Solomon. He shall build a house for my name. He's the one who's going to build the building, the house, the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's, there's some discontinuity here. We're, we got some problems because this is coming from David's loins, an offspring of David. And it appears as if at this point he's saying Solomon is going to reign forever. I will be to him a father. This is verse 14. And he shall be to me a son. He shall be to me a son. He, he can't be the physical son of God, but he is like God in that he is God's son in the same way that Jesus is called the son of God. He is so like God that he is God's son. He's going to be a son to me. He's going to be like me. Let's keep reading. When he commits iniquity, ah, oh, there we go. When he sins, you know, we, we know Solomon sins. You're going to read all about it in 1 Kings. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. We know that was true. The history of Israel, he committed iniquity, and then bad things happened from the rod. God used men to discipline his people. But, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. You see, he says at the end of 13, the throne of his kingdom will be forever. And now he says, my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Three times now, forever. A steadfast love, forever, forever. You're starting to think that this is bigger than David and Solomon and Jeconiah and all those kings that followed. There's something bigger here because this is going to last forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So three times the word forever and then my steadfast love will not depart from him. In accordance with these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So here we have the Davidic covenant. It's, it's interesting to note there's nothing that David is supposed to do here. This is all about God's work in establishing the covenant. And by the way, 
we are partakers in the new covenant, and we didn't do anything either. <laughs> we didn't do anything to be part of this covenant. God just decided. He decided. He, he put his hand on you, and he chose to love you. Psalm 72. He chose to love you. He chose to love you. Now, flip over. I just don't know where to go. There's so many texts. Let's just go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1. I'm, I'm going to just read these. We're going to move on. You might want to take notes. Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, how we get Jesus. And where does he start? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. He's in the Davidic line. He's related physically to King David, the son of Abraham. And now over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, who gave birth, Elizabeth Zechariah, she gave birth to John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is Luke 1.30. And the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Wow. God's promise to David is being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. And we've got all kinds of verses. Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. A son will be born to the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of... He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus is born and God is keeping his word. He's keeping his covenant. So let's turn back to 2 Samuel. I, there, there's... In a congregation like ours, there's, there's no lack of Bible students who might at this point be saying, what about Daniel 7, 13 and 14? What about Revelation chapter 5, Psalm 2 and Mark 11, triumphal entry? What about, what about, uh, sorry, get over it. <laughs> Back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. There are five things that I think we can think differently Good, good, good. We can feel differently about life and about what's happening. We can put our trust in different places, not our 401ks, you know, all that stuff. We can hope, set our hope for tomorrow, and then do. Here we go. Number one, 
look back, see what God has done. That's what God does to, to David. He says, hey, David, remember all the battles and all this stuff and I was with you? Can, can you look back and see God's withness in your life, God working? Sometimes it's really difficult to see it in the here and now. I remember when the doctor called me and told me about the surgery, and I was like, where's, you know, I didn't really feel God at the moment, okay? But you can always look back and see God at work. I can see God at work in this thing. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go to Africa. We had a big, I mean, the curriculum team was coming. We're going to work on orality and all this stuff, and I couldn't go. And so I'm relegated to study Ephesians. Ugh. And figure out how to teach it to oral learners. And this week, I'm, I'm choked up just talking about it. Um, I was studying Ephesians. I, I remember in high school not understanding Ephesians. I remember. And I want to know how the book fits together. I, and I've got, I don't know, 20 commentaries. I don't know. And nobody answers the question. And I got it this week. On Tuesday, I got Ephesians. I understand how the book is fashioned, how it fits in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and the prayers. I got it this week. I would give up both arms for that. It's been bugging me forever that I don't understand Ephesians. So look back. See what God has done. I know we can look. There's some tough stuff. I mean, my wife and I look back and we see some hard things. But God was at work, and, and you can look back and you can see him and what he was, how he was changing you and fashioning you in your circumstances. And if you could see it from his perspective, you would say, oh, that was pretty good. That was really good what he did. What he did was good. It doesn't mean it was, it doesn't mean the event itself. Because, you know, we look back, we can see, I mean, tough stuff, divorces and and friends who have forsaken us and children who have died and diseases and man you just but remember life is not the way it should be but God is with us and he is at work and he has a plan and he has a purpose and as you look back you can see what he's doing sometimes not all the time And remember, God took David from following the sheep. <laughs> Look back. Number two, he's given a promise that he is with us. He is the God who is with us. He's with us in the fight. He's promised, Hebrews 13, 5. You should memorize this verse. Let your, wife, let your life be free from the love of money, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the original language, when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, there's five negatives. In fact, if we were really literal about it, it would be, I will never, never, no never, ever, ever forsake you. He wants us to know that, that he is with us. He is with us. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, 
And what does he say? Right at the end, 28, 20, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is our motivation to serve and take risks. He is with us. He's guarding us. He's guiding us. You can take risk in ministry. You can retire and use your retirement to do ministry. He'll take care of your children. All you're going to do is spoil them anyway with your money. I love that I once saw a bumper sticker on a really super fancy motorhome. It said, we're, spilling, we're spending our children's inheritance. <laughs> Good for them. I was thinking about this, the presence of God, and um, this weekend, uh, my daughter and her husband took, took off for a couple days. Uh, Friday morning, they dropped off the 16-month-old twins and my three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and uh, they're going to come back this afternoon sometime. So it's been an interesting several days. So we not only had that, but then the refrigerator compressor fan broke, and I ordered the part and then the part got delivered to the wrong place. And then the part got delivered, and I opened it up. I'm ready to refix the refrigerator. It's the wrong part. They sent the wrong part. So we don't have a refrigerator. And we had the twins. There's some other things. You know, we prayed that it wouldn't rain because you just take them outside. So one of the things that my wife and I do is we divide, we divide the... We, if you divide the kids, it's just a good strategy. Just divide the kids. So my wife... The, the twins were sleeping. My wife took my granddaughter over to see her mother in the, in the uh, care facility, and then she did some shopping. And I'm home with the twins, and they're sleeping, but then they woke up. <laughs> and they were poopy. And they have rashes, so, you know, you got to do it. So here's Grandpa. I got my deal here. And I'm changing poopy diapers on twin 16-month-old boys, exhibit, exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit like, no, like you couldn't even imagine. So I get done with the second one, and you, everybody has their own techniques, you know, but I have mine. And then you, you have to know this thing is it's driven by Velcro. Everything's Velcro. You know where this is going. Some of you know where it's going. These divers these days, they're driven by something like Velcro. So I'm finishing up, and I think I did a pretty good job. And guess what's hanging on? My arm sling. A poopy diaper. And I'm thinking to myself, where is God when you need him? <laughs> but you know what? I got up this morning, and I'm thinking about it. And you know what? He was there. He wasn't a lot of help, but he was there. <laughs> he was working on me. And, and that's what life does to us. It sends us poopy diapers all the time. However they come, because he's with us. So I'm sitting there this morning, going over my notes, thinking about it. And yeah, yeah, he's with us. Number three. So one was look back. Look back at the bad. Look back at the good. See how God has carried you. Number two, his promise is that he is here. And he is here, whether you know it or not or feel it or not. When you have a poopy diaper hanging on this, you don't feel God's presence. 
And that's okay. You don't have to. You can see it later. Number three, take stock. We have a king. We have a king. Hard is good. He's never promised us an easy life. We're in a fight. We are in a battle. Hard is good. I've been thinking about moms who are home with their kids, moms and dads with preschoolers. and It's hard. I mean, God's going to answer that prayer. My kids are going to come home. They're going to go. It's going to get easy. But hard is good. Make no mistake. I believe one of the best tirednesses is parents of children. They're going to wear you out. But you're raising sons and daughters for the kingdom. And God is working on you. So it's, it's just not the great and mighty things. Because let's, let's face this, 95, 99% of us are going to be worker bees. We're going to be following the sheep. Okay? But in the service of the king, I can follow sheep. Can you? Yeah. may not feel it at the time, but... You're working for the kingdom. So take stock now. We have a king. And I think Bob Dylan is the one who wrote this song called Free Wheelin'. Is that right? Anybody help me out here? Free Wheelin'. Is that true? You don't know? Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing as free wheeling in the Christian life. You don't just float along. No. No, you get to work. You come Sunday morning. You come to serve. You come to find someone who needs, needs a greeting, needs someone to listen to them. You come to serve. Yesterday morning at the, the teacher's meeting, Clay, you, you knew I couldn't do a whole sermon without mentioning children's ministry. So Clay gives this, this impassioned plea for men to serve in our children's ministry. You know, I got four kids. They're fairly successful in life. All four of my kids, when we asked them what your favorite Sunday school teacher is, it was this redneck weightlifter, scraggly beard from Arkansas who taught fifth grade and they loved him. Is Christianity for men or is it only for women? And yes, we need committed women and yes, they need, but guys, they need us. They need us. We are not freewheeling. We are not freewheeling. We are servants of a king. We are servants of the king. And church is one of the primary places that you serve. All right, number four. Looking at my time. I'm still good. He is for us. He's not just with us. He is for us. Romans 8.32. Memorize this verse. I think it's John Piper's favorite. It's, it's like my second favorite. First favorite is... Philippians 3, 7, but whatever things came for me. But Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If he gave you his son, this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. He gave you his son, he's going to give you all things. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. We just have to get that into our souls. So take hold of him. Philippians 3.12 says, he took a, he, he's taken hold of us, and now we take hold of him. Do you get the picture? 
He's come and grabbed us, and now we come and grab him. He is for us. Take hold of him. Take hold of him. He works on your behalf. I'm so glad we sang that song this morning. So I want you to turn to Hebrews 6. This is where solid rock came from. Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 13. You'll do better if you look at it and read it. But some of you are more oral, so you can just listen. That's fine. I, I learned in the last two months there's more people on the planet of the earth, 5 billion of the 8 billion, process by hearing, not by reading. And even if you're very literate, you may be an oral learner. It's kind of an interesting thing I've been studying. So Hebrews 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, this is, this is Genesis 12, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And this Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise, the promise of a son. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, that's Abraham's descendants, David's, us, he guaranteed it with an oath, with an oath. Uh, let's go back. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge in the new covenant for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and then chapter 7. But do you see the unchangeableness of his purpose? Everyone who's sitting here, God has a purpose for your life. It is unchangeable. It's the same way with David and Jesus Christ. His purpose there's an unchangeable purpose, and then there's his promise and his oath. And those two things are what carry us. They carry us. God has a purpose. You may not see it as you're going through the dunghill of life, but he has a purpose, and he's made a promise. And his promise to you is the hope of heaven. His promise to you is his presence. Now I want you to turn to the last part of 2 Samuel. I'm going to have to finish this up quick. Um, number five, if you're taking notes, and I'm sure you all are, is the future for you is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. If you knew what, what heaven was like, you would go, oh, that was nothing. Whatever it is, you would say, oh, that was nothing. That's what Romans 8 tells us. Romans 8 says, uh, basically says that. The, the future glory that's going to be real is nothing compared Nothing. And Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. He says, look at the things that are not seen. Not the, the things which are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. So look at 2 Samuel 23. 
I'm going to have to close with this. I had more, but oh well. These are the last words of David. Important words. This is the Davidic king. Man after God's own heart. Here's my last words. After everything I've gone through in life. 2 Samuel 23, 1. This 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 5 is another one of my triggers, if you want to know. So I got both of them, two of them today. These are the last words of David, 2 Samuel 23. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. I just love that phrase, the sweet psalmist. He wrote half the psalms and most of the others. He had great influence over everybody who wrote the psalms. He's a sweet psalmist. And he knew it was the inspired word of God. The Holy Spirit spoke by me, he says in Hebrews. The anointed, the sweet psalmist. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. Verse 3, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men. Now he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule right now from heaven and his coming rule when he makes everything right. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, and by the way, Jesus feared the Lord. He delighted in the fear of God. Isaiah chapter 9, if you don't believe me, read Isaiah 9. He delighted in the fear of God. He dawns on them like the morning light. He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. You know, you get up in the morning, it's just great. We had our other grandkids, um, little Nick. Um, Nick is... You think I would know. Maybe about two. No, he's two and a half. So Nick, I get up early, so I'm up early, and I'm in my chair, and I'm reading, and Nick comes in. He gets up, and he runs in. He says, Grandpa, it's morning. I'm so excited. It's morning. It's morning, Grandpa. I go, yeah, it's great, isn't it? He just, this, this is what it means to live under the kingship of Jesus Christ, even today. It's morning. It's morning. It's great. It cannot not be great. He's the king. Like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Here it comes, verse 5. For does not my house stand so with God? David wasn't I mean, he was a good king, but then he has a lot of mess-ups. And he knew it. At the end of his life, it's like, whoa. And why does his house stand this so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. This is my house with God because he's made this everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secure. There's an order to it. There's a plan. There's a purpose for my life, for your life. It's for, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so it's ordered. It's ordered and it's secure. That's what you trust in. You trust in the, the purposes of God and the promise of God. That's your trust. That's your hope. That's what cause you to think differently and to feel differently. And so we don't even have to get to the, what you're going to do, do we? It's morning, Grandpa. It's great. Let me pray. Father, we give you thanks.
You are the great mighty king. Your oath, your covenant, your blood, assist us in the whelming flood. So, Father, help us make this a part of our soul and our minds and our hearts and our bodies and all that we are. There's the morning sun, and he's dawned. He's died and risen, and he's king. So help us in the fight. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.